Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. God help you if you use voiceover in your work, my friends. God help you. It's flaccid, sloppy writing. I don't want you to be the guy in the PG-13 movie. Everyone's really hoping makes it happen. I want you to be like the guy in the rated R movie, you know? The guy you're not sure whether or not you like yet. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Jeremy Fisk and I'm joined by Chapin Hemingway and Lee Carlo. Uh, we got a kind of special edition of um, the podcast this week because we're interviewing writer-director Andrew Gibson, who uh, has a new film called Gutterbug out and it's going through the festival circuit right now. Um, and But before that, we are going to... Um, review the new movie, the Jonathan Levine movie, Long Shot. Not so new anymore, but not not that new anymore. A few weeks old at this point, um, with Charlie Theron and Seth Rogen. And then we're going to wrap it up with our top five underdogs. Charlotte, I would like to endorse you to be the next president of the United States. Oh my God, you've been a great secretary of state. Which state again? All of them. Secretary of State looking at us? I kind of know her. It's like kind of knowing a mermaid. Do you tell people that? She probably doesn't remember who I am. Secretary Field would like to speak with you. With me? I can't shake this feeling that we know each other. We do. We do? Picture me, I guess, maybe like 20 years younger. But like this. Florsky? Yeah! What are you doing these days? I'm a journalist. You're a great writer. But sometimes you're a little too much. I don't think I am too much. I actually think I'm the perfect right portion. It's really nice to see you again. Whoa! Cracker down! I'm okay! Do boys and men just call me a cracker? What is the relationship exactly? I used to babysit for him. You babysat for him? Wow, time has not been kind. All right, guys, so long shot. It is a movie that's sort of in in the vein of those uh, Apatow movies. Um, you know, The 40-Year-Old Virgin and Knocked Up. That, that sort of uh, more, I, I hate to call it broader comedy, but in a way it's sort of broader comedy. Um, but it also touches on, you know, a lot of political things that are going on, um, in the country today. So my, my question to you guys is, um, does this film sort of just stay even with that sort of Apatow, group of of films or does it distinguish itself somehow or raise above um those other movies because of its sort of uh political and contemporary um plot i'm i'm really glad you brought apatow up i mean i think it's not just seth rogan that reminds us of those movies but um it's also the film itself. It's kind of gross out, but you're right. It's got this like political bent that is a little bit different. Um, and I don't want to jump too far into like what I thought about the film yet, but what I did notice was that um, I did notice I, I found the editing of this film particularly. Um, it, it wasn't it wasn't bad. It was just that I found it to be the sort of missing link to be one of those great Apatow films. Um, and I looked up the editor of the, of all of Apatow's movies. Um, and between like all of our favorites of those forgetting Sarah Marshall, 
super bad um, and all the films he's directed there's really just two or three editors um, and I think that that really says something because they've like built this style and this the pacing and um, there's that there's a certain style to which that Apatow shoots where you know they they, they do shoot a lot of coverage and shoot a lot shoot a lot of different lines um, one of the things I read was that like knocked up had like six different cuts where almost every line in each cut was a different take or a different um, a different version of it. Um, and so when I, I was expecting that with this movie, I was I, I was sort of, you know, as engaged with it as I usually am with those films. But then I'm like, there's something up with this. And I came it came down to me to, to the editing. It just wasn't quite as snappy and it didn't kind of deliver those laughs quite as sort of efficiently. Um, but also it wasn't as sort of um like what's the word it, it, it didn't go quite as far as some of those apatow slash rogan slash goldberg films go um it kind of pushes the envelope in a way those films push the envelope in a way by kind of showing you you know by going a little bit too far and so with this film like i it kind of had that same tone and t- sort of sort of style and feel to it but it there was just sort of that one piece missing for me yeah, I to answer your question, Jeremy, I would say that this movie doesn't really um, give us much beyond the broad comedy, if that's the uh, definition we're using of of what this is. Um, but that sort of led me to you know a, a follow up question of whether or not that's a bad thing. And I, you know, I saw this movie now maybe two weeks ago, and I think I'm still sort of toying with that because, you know, I think you're right, Chapin. Like there is something about the Apatow um, directed movies and, you know, the offshoots of, of those movies that is, you know, whether it's the editing or what, but is tighter and does seem like it has a, a be- more control over its comedy and is more deliberate, you know, and that, that has nothing to do with, you know, the improvisation that the actors do, but everything does seem like it's it's very much in the hands of the director that maybe this movie doesn't have and maybe it's just relying a little bit on its actors and its script um but you know i just uh, some i'm not usually like this as you guys know but i i think i left this movie being like i'm okay with what this movie was i had a blast at it i thought it was hilarious i laughed out loud more times than i can remember laughing out loud in a theater and you know that could be seth rogan sure um but i don't know i I felt this didn't feel like a movie to me where I was going to leave nitpicking the editing. And that doesn't mean you're wrong, Chapin. It just, for me, my follow-up to that question of whether or not this is a, a simply a broad comedy was it is, and that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the political satire part of this actually does like kick it up a notch for itself. I, I, it doesn't reach the level of those best Apatow movies that we were talking about. But I did, I mean, it, 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 my expectations going into this were not very high. I almost was wondering why we're, we're going to watch this because it seemed rather pedestrian on surface. I mean, I like these two actors. I especially like to see, uh, Charlie's, uh, their own do comedy. Um, you know, we know she can do it from like stuff like Arrested Development. So, uh, you know, cause she brings like some gravitas to the role, but also she is, she's good at doing, um, doing the, the humorous stuff. So, uh, yeah, going into, I didn't have like the, the highest expectations, but, um, I, I, like you, Lee, I found myself laughing a lot 
at this movie, which is, I guess, its number one goal uh, for a sort of crowd-pleasing comedy. Um, it didn't bother me that uh, their relationship at all. I totally kind of fell for it, and I give a Rogan a lot of credit for that. Uh, Rogan and the writing a lot of credit for that. Um, I think he was... Uh, I don't know if charming's the right word, but he really yeah, worked. I think it is. Yeah, he they really work. they worked. Good chemistry, yeah. The thing, and he was really funny. I don't want to sound like Lee on the uh, on the favorite podcast, but in this movie where, like, you know, the sort of the standout is that this woman is successful and powerful and, um, you know, very sort of savvy and beautiful and kind of has it all, but is also and is also the focus of the movie. I really thought the sort of the innovation in the film the, the new the new thing was was making like that sort of goofy Seth Rogen character like a, a little bit more accomplished and like you know sexy in a way and, and in a way that you understood why she sort of fell in mm-hmm. love with him like he's a doofus in a way and kind of can hit all those Seth Rogen beats but it was just like he's he's also sort of smart and accomplished and you know has a little bit of a has that kind of naivete that seems to appeal to her and you know sets him apart from the rest of her sort of political group and also like the opposite of that it's like you have charlie Theron, who's this accomplished um politician that's like you said just sort of almost stoic and beautiful and and you know but she also can like go to the to the cruder she she's okay doing the cruder elements and you're sympathetic towards that it's not above her character to be able to you know have a sense of humor about uh you know certain certain uh i don't want to give anything away any spoilers but uh uh bodily fluids that end up on people's uh chins like she she uh <laughs> don't give better, anything away you, you better explain that because that might become uh, a, it's, what, that, it's what it sounds like well it's exactly what it sounds like so he gets blackmailed uh because seth rogan's jerking off um and be, that's why you got to hide your little camera on your computer yeah uh so and they catch it they hack into his computer and that uh, yeah, so he gets blackmailed, and they threaten her political campaign with that video of him jizzing all over himself. By I think it's accidentally. <laughs> I'm gonna assume. Yeah, I, I like how I like how you kind of beat around it a little bit, no pun intended, oh, and then you just yeah. then you just go and then you just explain it the yeah, whole too. thing multiple different ways. Um, I one thing I will be critical of, and it's it's kind of what you guys are alluding to here with with these these characterizations of our leads. Um, played by Seth Rogen and, and Charlie Theron is is how they ended up being portrayed throughout the movie. So it, it's a little bit less um, less so with with Seth Rogen. But, you know, Chapin, you pointed out, like, you know, it's it's kind of interesting to see, you know, this, you know, who, what we're so used to Seth Rogen being kind of flipped on his head. He's, you know, he's an accomplished writer. He's he's uh, considered a good writer. He's you know, he has um has a very specific agenda that he likes to follow and, and research and write about. Um, but then, you know, you still kind of have him fall into, you know, the, you know, goofy, socially awkward drug addict Seth Rogen throughout this movie. And it's worse with Charlie Theron, who, you know, you're, you're introduced to her as, you know, this, you know, 
beautiful, accomplished politician. But we learn very quickly that she has a lot of flaws. And if she's going to run for president, she needs to learn how to wave. She needs to learn how to smile. She needs to learn how to laugh. Like she can't do anything in these social situations. You know, she she knows about, you know, things that are going on in the world because she reads the Wikipedia recaps of of Game of Thrones. And uh, so you said don't bring up Game of Thrones. That's true. I haven't finished Game of Thrones yet. So um, but. What we see of her throughout this movie is this charming, like, totally easy to fall for woman that doesn't really seemingly have any flaws at all. So where is this person that we're that we're supposed to see that, you know, I I guess I would assume Seth Rogen is meant to change, you know, or or teach, you know, how to be, you know, more of a, a human being in a real setting with that. That's totally absent from the movie. I didn't totally miss it, but. No, you I know, think if they're going to introduce think, that. It's not there. Yeah, I think the thing she, she was she wanted arc a little bit. I would say I think that's true. But I, I just, I mean, maybe it's just because I sort of totally fell for her in this. But like, I feel like she wanted to get out of having to be that person you described, Lee, and that was he's an escape from that. Right, but my point is she wasn't that person that they described. That, that yeah, but she had to. She had to portray it all the time. So in the right. Like, I don't know. I, I it, That part didn't bother me. Yeah, and um, I don't know that it bothered me. And again, that's why I said, like, this was a movie that, you know, I, I don't know. When I leave a movie, when I, I I find myself so surprised when I'm in the theater legitimately laughing out loud. Be, and look, a lot of that is because when I go to a movie theater, especially when I go to a, a Seth Rogen movie or, a, you know, a, some random Oscar-winning movie that happened to come out last year that I had to go see... Um, you know, I, I'm so guarded. Like, I just hate the audiences that I have to see movies with. And I got to the theater, and the place is packed. It's a Tuesday night. It's packed. I'm like, fingers crossed. I really hope all these people are going to see the Avengers and not Longshot. Because I swear to God, if I have to sit in the movie theater with all these people, I'm going to kill myself. Fortunately, I think most of them did go to see <laughs> Avengers. And But I had so much fun watching this movie and laughing. And I, I think... <laughs> I was so caught off guard by that that any flaws that I found in it just did not bother me. And I, I know, I like to say, okay, then mission accomplished, Jonathan Levine. But at the same time, like, your movie's not perfect. And I think we made a no. good point at the beginning where we're comparing this to Judd Apatow, who's done the same thing, made me laugh, but in a much better movie. Can I can I ask you this though? Do you feel that Apatow may not has never like tackled the subject matter of politics, but do you feel that? that those films and let's expand that's also you know super bad forgetting sarah marshall you know the ones he's also just produced as well do you guys think that he has done a film that says as much about sort of you know deeper themes like gender politics or you know the the role role reversals between women i you know do you feel I mean, like that film that his films or the ones he's produced has gone as deep as this film has did this film go deep I don't know, but I don't it, know it, 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 it touched on all those, and that's I mean, kind of what parodied, I was getting at. It, I think it parodied our our current day and age, and that's about it. In our political climate, like, but I think it did it. The in president a smart in this way. movie is watching. You know, uh, Bob Odenkirk is watching, <laughs> watching his TV show that he used to be on, playing the president before he became president, which I thought was pretty clever. And you know, they have the Wembley News, which is just Fox News. It's just a parody, and it's funny. Do you know that apparently clever, just happened in real life. What? Uh, hold on. You you keep talking. I'll I'll look it up. <laughs> okay. Well, that was all I was gonna say. It's just a parody of of you know 
political climate and the political theme. It's not really a deep political movie. So, I mean, no, this, I, isn't, I don't, not, this I, isn't Vice. No, Ukraine's, Ukraine's new president played a uh, president on TV. <laughs> he just got elected 11 hours ago. Yeah. Or, or yesterday or something. But that was, yeah. So, anyhow. It's not as far-fetched as we thought. No. Um, yeah, so what, one other note I had that I don't usually find... I mean, it takes a lot to get me to, to laugh at this sort of humor, but the physical humor in this was actually pretty good for... I, I don't know what you guys thought, but the... the <laughs> The two times he just told, like the, the beginning when he was at the uh, the the white power getting the um, tattoo and he just runs out the window onto the car or when he falls down the stairs in front of every I I thought the physical they did it really well I, you know um, which is uh, just to go back to backtrack a little tape and I do thinking about it um, with Judd Apatow's films funny people I think was his. Well, actually, I think he's done it a couple times. I think Funny People was his most successful attempt to have a deeper, you know, theme and a more serious theme to kind of explore within his comedy. I also think he tried it with This Is 40, and I think he failed there. But I think, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Funny People, but he tackled, you know, relationships and loss and life and death and all that kind of, and, you know, disease and things like that within his comedy. And I think he did a good job of knowing when to take it seriously and knowing when to be funny. Where this movie is not, I, I wouldn't even compare. Well, I think it to Jonathan it. Levine's done that before too. He did Fifty Fifty with Joseph yeah, Gordon Levitt. Oh, I like that movie. I think it's uh, pretty good. We reviewed that on the podcast, didn't we? I remember. Yeah, I was not a big fan of that movie. But yes, I do. But I agree in the sense that that was a, a similar attempt. I just don't think that that movie was great. But it's it's not fair to say he's not trying to do that. But I mean, do you guys agree though that this movie is not a a serious approach at politics? Like, no, 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 no definitely. Not. I don't or, think or that. I guess I was asking more or from like approach. a. Uh, yeah, no, I was just wondering if you thought it. It doesn't necessarily have to be deeper, but I mean, there. You know, you go to a. I don't know. Like you watch a film like Harold and Kumar, which is pretty funny. It's but it's not about anything. You know, I think the right. Apatow movies are a little bit more uh, about relationships or about you know men and women or about. I, I think. I mean, I, I I love Funny People. I think it's a, a flawed film for sure. But I think it, that is about a more than um, just you know making people laugh. But I think to me, this movie aired a little bit more on the Harold and Kumar side. I don't think it did quite go. Which I was, I kind of wanted it to, like I, you know, I want, I think it had the potential to do that, but you know, maybe, maybe you're right. Like I was also, you know, cackling in the theater, and you know, it's been a long time since I've experienced that. Um, and I thought, like, I thought it was really funny to see. I, I've been sort of mesmerized by Charlize Theron since, you know, watching this movie, and I've like, they've been the two of them, have, Seth Rogen and she, have been doing a lot of press for the film and so i've been like kind of watching interviews with her and yeah they like, did a hot ones did they did that, that was really funny <laughs> and she is so funny in that one moment when she's tried to negotiate the hostage release when she's oh, on, yeah. on ecstasy and i mean that was just so i don't know that was so funny to me and i just i want i i think that was like the I mean, to me, that was the, you know, apex of the film, but also I thought she was never better and she was even funnier than Rogan um, in that section. And I kind of wanted, I wanted to see her stretch a little bit more in that way. And I think 
you know, maybe we'll see that um, in the future. But I will say that I think I, I, w- I think I would have been bothered if this movie tried to go deeper with any of its, you know, political references and stuff. I think the the fact that they were so obvious was what was sort of likable about this movie. You could kind of forget about the <laughs> the you know similarities that it has to what we're currently going through and just enjoy the movie and and you know laugh at you know Bob Odenkirk and laugh at these people on Fox News and laugh at <laughs> her handling a uh you know international military crisis while she's on drugs like I thought that was all stuff that we could just sit back and enjoy and I think yeah, that's it's sort of important for this movie it struck a good balance it was it, it it was really impressive I think that's maybe the most impressive part of this is is the balance it struck where yeah you you get it like with all this uh, political satire and the um, gender issues like it's not trying to hide it but at the same time it's not distracting it's not over the top but it also doesn't like try to preach to you at the uh, at the same time so that's it's an impressive balancing act and like i think first and foremost i think um they're like let's just make this let's make this funny i think yeah. that's the most important thing okay I think a, an, an interesting comparison jeremy you brought up arrested development the new seasons when you know they they have that initial joke about the wall with donald trump and yeah at first it's funny but then they just keep going with it and eventually you're like i i see this every day i don't need to keep i don't need to see this now on on arrested development it's not funny anymore and i think yeah, yeah they I don't mean, bother with that that new arrested development <laughs> is so bad um so bad. <laughs> i wanted to add something and we can cut this out if it's sort of a stupid question because i feel like a pollyanna saying this but i know i think not to give too much away about our personal lives here, but I think I'm the most experienced with drugs sex. out of the three of us, uh, the least experienced with sex out of the three of us. Um, and But I felt watching this movie and a bu- you know some other f- films that I can't think of off the top of my head at the moment that, like, have we gone a little too far with the drug humor? I mean... It, All right, well, Chapin, you brought up a, on the top five a few weeks ago the night before that Jonathan Levine directed yeah i can barely remember the, the name of that on film. the long nights and and i told you about how that movie like made me scared of bad trips but that's that's a good th- i mean that's a good thing in the sense that I, I guess i mean we're talking about like hardcore drugs in this movie that like this this you know kind of reputable woman decides to take for the first time um, you know, she wants to take a Molly or smoke a Molly with you, which I feel like that was, that was a little, I mean, you know, far fetched that she didn't even know how to say it. But my, I guess my point is that there there are no consequences to it, which there, there doesn't need to be. But I, I do feel like the the film and there's a certain d- degree of of films that that just don't treat drug use with any sort of reverence anymore. It's just. Like it's kind of it, it's it, a crutch. It's a comedy crutch or a. But or, it's not even. I mean, a genre crutch. Like. That that may be true. That may be true. But I I guess my point is more from like a, you know, if a seventeen or eighteen year old would have gone and seen this, which I think if I was this if I was that age, I would be interested in seeing this film. And you know, it it just seems like there really is no consequences for. Um, drug taking and, and and there may not need to be you know we like i think 
a part of that the of Gutterbug, which we're going to talk about later in this episode, there is a lot of consequences for that. And you know, you could argue maybe that's the wrong way to go as well. Like there, there may not be a, a correct answer here. I just left feeling a little icky with that scenario. I agree. I, I, I think I it's totally a really interesting that. point because it does, in one on one hand, depend on the movie, like a movie like Long Shot versus a movie like Gutterbug. But also, <coughs> also, like you could, you know. I remember back in the day, Brantley brought up similar arguments about violence in movies and, and, you know, without getting too deep into it, it's a similar argument. Like where, where is the line in a movie about, you know, seeing something for the benefit of moving the story forward, but also leaving out the consequences of that. And, you know, I think that's, there's a responsibility factor there, but I also think that there's a, you know, a, a point when, I don't know if realism is the right word, but we do expect like a certain level of realism from our movies. And if that aspect is absent from it, it's going to diminish the importance of it. Does that make sense? Sure. So guys, we got a special treat today. We are now uh, joined by writer, director, Andrew Gibson. Um, I, I've known Andrew, um, for a while now we actually worked together on a bunch of projects here in boston um but he left us left the big movies and took the independent route and he has written and directed a new movie called gutter bug that i know just made its debut at the uh boston international film festival um so we'd like to welcome andrew thanks dude great great to be here um Big fan of the podcast. Listened to the uh, PTA one not too long ago. Really dug that. Oh, so you're the one. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, the only one that dug it? No, the only well, one who listens. To it. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, dude, it was so we good. I love it. 100% thumbs up, though. Well, thank you yeah, for soldier- soldiering through it. Yeah, I could have gone for like 12 more hours, so good I stuff. Know, wow. That makes one of us. <laughs> <laughs> all right so we we're also spent by the end of that podcast we didn't want to do our number ones yeah oh there will be blood whatever <laughs> <laughs> we all knew that was where it was going so andrew this is uh this is exciting so uh first off i wanted to ask you like what what motivated you to actually go out and uh take the leap and actually make an independent film actually why don't you tell people what gutter bugs about first off yeah, it's about um, it's about a rock and roller, um, you know, that falls on hard times, ends up on the street, homeless, um, addicted to opioids, and um, kind of living the crust punk lifestyle in the hot summer sun uh, in Alston. Um, yeah, it's pretty much it without giving too much away. All right. So what? Yeah. So what motivated you to actually go out and, and make this movie? Because it's a very specific story. I'm curious, I guess, about how much of this world you knew. Yeah. Uh, you know how much you lived in being a movie. I mean, a, a, a like a rock director. Yeah. Um, so yeah, explain that sort of stuff to us. Yeah. So um, I mean, when I the summer I first moved to Alston. Um, I would see I started seeing a lot of these kids around like they would just walk from like uh, Alston to Harvard Square and just uh, you know beg for change all day and they'd kind of travel in packs and I came to to know them as crust punks Um, and then I would see them like at the same rock and roll shows that I would be at like on the weekends and then I would go to like the coffee shop the next day like to get a breakfast sandwich and they would be like outside of the coffee shop like begging for change 
Um, and then I would see them like, you know, later on, like when I go to the liquor store, they'd be there. So I was like seeing all these kids around that I was also like seeing in social settings. And I was like, this is just, it's just a, a crazy way to live your life. Like they were probably like, you know, early twenties, which I was at the time too. Um, and just got interested in that lifestyle really. Um, and then kind of started this fictional narrative, uh, based off of, you know, uh, that kind of cast of characters. Um, but it was really, it was really just started off like a little short script that I wrote about a, like one of those homeless crust punks trying to find a job and that little montage like kind of ends up in the, in the film, but it's basically about mm-hmm. a, a crust punk. Like, like how do you get out of that lifestyle once you've like chosen to be like, you know, free from society and you're living on the streets and it like, you know, maybe is appealing at first, but then like once you got to get out of that, like it, how can you get out of that? Like without a phone and without like a computer, like without a house, without a license, so that's kind of what I was thinking about, and then, um, and then the rest of the narrative just just unfolded over time, just from living in living in Alston and just kind of like thinking about it and being influenced by it. But it wasn't like, for this one at least, I was like, I want to write this movie like right now. It was just something that was kind of like stewing for a while. Right. I mean, I lived in Alston for five, six years, and yeah. uh, you sort of show it almost a. I mean, you get the sense of Austin, but it's almost a different part of Austin, uh, you know, the, than what I experienced. But I could see yeah. it on the fringes. Yeah. Um, totally. And the other thing, too, is, like, we didn't want to make it, like, a movie about Austin. You know what I mean? Right. Like, we never say it. I mean, anyone that's been to Austin knows it's Austin, but we never say, like, this is Austin. You know what I mean? Like, but so we didn't want to make it, like, a movie about Austin. It was more just, like, a movie that's taking place in Austin, kind of. But Austin definitely has that that unique vibe, that weird sort of counterculture vibe. I mean, it's still there even yeah. today in Boston. Um, it's 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 disappearing quickly, but it, it is. Like, it's funny because like when we were writing, when I was writing it and like coming up with it, it was like that was only like four or five years ago, and it was super gnarly. And now it's like it's it's like changed a lot in the last few years. Yeah, keep Alston shitty, isn't that what they say? Now, though, that was the tag for a little while. Now the tag is R.I.P. Alston. That's the one I oh, keep saying. Oh, they've already given up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as a as a person who uh, works in locations in Boston, I don't film very much in Alston, uh, yep. very rarely uh, on these bigger movies. I'm curious uh, what it was like for you to film an independent film in Boston like how much of it was just guerrilla how much of it did you get permission like what what was the strategy like for that like how did you go out on the roads and um you know with it, whole crews and cop cars and stuff like that how did how did you get all that done especially nowadays um it, it's got to be tougher to do it without really having the money to do it yeah totally I mean <clears throat> I had just been shooting stuff in Alston for a couple years. Like I had probably done like I don't know half a dozen music videos in Alston, and a lot of the locations I shot the music videos in, I returned to in the movie. So like that bodega has been in multiple music videos I've done. Mm-hmm. The footbridge has been in multiple music videos. Um, like the record store, the O'Brien's Rock Club. So a lot of the places I had already shot in. Um, so we kind of used that to our advantage. Like where where can we shoot for free? And then let's write the scene around that. And then, like, you know, we shot the whole thing within, like, almost the whole thing except for, like, the jail and the hospital within a two-mile radius of my house. So, like, the main actor was staying in my house. Like, most of our crew was staying in my house. We did all the base camp at my house, all the meals at my house. So we kind of would just, like, start the day in Alston and then 
go out to all these locations that we had already like shot at or scouted and like all the business owners were like aware of what we were doing and really supportive of what we were doing so like all the Alston stuff was like you know pretty run and gun pretty guerrilla but it was also very well planned out and like I had already relationships with a lot of the places that we shot the yep. hospital and the jail stuff was like more traditional approach where like we got in touch with like the the right people and like paid them X amount of dollars. I mean, we were still able to shoot for cheap based on like connections that I had with like people within the location industry that hooked us up to um, the hospital and the jail. But like we still had to like give certificates of insurance and like do all that kind of stuff for those those scenes. Right. Um, well, I'll, I'll let uh, these. I'm sure these guys have some questions for you too. I I have more, but I'll let them ask you a few. Yeah, cool. Andrew. I mean, you you covered this a little bit. It sounds like you were yeah. pretty well prepared yeah. for your budget. Um, but we talk a lot about you know specifically talking about you know directors like Paul Thomas Anderson and yeah. Martin Scorsese. Yeah. You know. Uh, and Andrew Gibson. Andrew Gibson. <laughs> you know, know having more success yeah. <laughs> when they are when they're limited with yeah. with their resources yeah. and. Um, whether it's time, whether it's money, and it looks, at least according to IMDb, you had a $150,000 budget. And I'm wondering, you know, just over the course of shooting, you know, if you had to make some sacrifices because of those constraints, or even if you had to make some creative changes, if you have any examples of that, that, you know, either you feel like were kind of a bummer, or if in the aftermath you felt like, hey, this actually, you know, worked out. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a, like, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff got changed and sacrificed. We ended up shooting it for 60000 The 150000 that number, I don't know how that got there because originally we I think it had said 75000 on there because that's probably what it ended up, it probably ended up being about eighty with post. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, that's with like a ton of favors and like, you know, we got the camera for free and like a lot of people worked for free. Um, so 150 is like probably would have what would have been if we had like paid for everything or whatever. But um I guess one good example, like we wanted to shoot the scene where they, um, I guess spoilers, but the scene with like the cop under the under the bridge or whatever. Yep. That scene originally I wanted to shoot in the subway, and like we were having all these back and forth with the MBTA, and like looking back on it, I never even should have like put that in the script or even considered it, but for some reason I thought I would be able to shoot in there, whether we stole it or got permission to do it, and once we decided not to try to steal it then we tried to get permission and then we ran out of time and then they're like finally yeah. we got through the dude and he's like yeah it's like in germany you know this he's like yeah it's like a four-month process oh yeah and, dealing with mbta is the war yeah so like we probably should have just stole it but then who knows like what would have happened if we had got caught but that scene basically was supposed to take place in a subway and then we rewrote it like a week before to take place like near a subway um I mean, I, I still think it worked out. I mean, we, we had to change around, like, the scene, but, like, the, the basic idea still kind of came through that, like, you know, they get away and, like, uh, Jenny kind of saves the day. We just had to, like, kind of rewrite that one. And then, like, the bathroom, that, that scene when they're, like, hooking up in the bathroom, that we were trying to shoot um, at the model and uh, in Alston, like, this, this bar that has, like, these crazy bathrooms, and they were, like, flaking on us and then they like wanted x amount of dollars and then we were like shit we can't do that so then we ended up doing um just just like trashing the bathroom in my house (laughs) and so we had a graffiti artist come over and and do all that shit in like a couple of hours like day like day of the shoot um and then we left my bathroom like that for like a year and then we finally painted it over 
Um, so those are like those are like two examples that I remember having to like adjust on the fly and like it, it, that stuff is so tough and it's like so much of it just comes down to like what do we really need to like make this scene work with the scene before it and after it. Um, whereas like obviously if you're a PTA or Scorsese or whatever, like they can they can get all the stuff they need, you know. I I think being able to to work on your toes can can create magic too so I, I do like doing all that stuff too okay and then additionally you know when working and uh, you know I, I think all of us have sort of either had experience with this working on independent movies or especially you know watching them yeah you know casting and getting good performances can be a real challenge um, yeah I was totally. particularly impressed with all a lot of your performances specifically your three leads but really your movie cool. You, I think you would agree, kind of lived and died or died on your your lead actor Andrew Yackel. Totally, totally. Um, and I thought he was fantastic. And uh, and I'm kind of just wondering, you know, what your involvement with him was in either pre production or during production. Did you just let him roll? Like I, I always remember, you know, kind of one of my biggest regrets on a movie that me and Jeremy shot was that I didn't get to spend time with the actors beforehand and kind of yeah, you know, discovering these characters. And you yeah. know, that's a. a sacrifice you have to make on low budget films so i'd like to hear yep. a little bit about what you did yeah i mean i i think you you nailed it with the you know if if he he the movie lives or dies with with him and it's like if he hadn't been so great then it, the, like the movie wouldn't even be worth watching you know like he's yeah. almost in every scene well not every scene but he's in, he, he's like in all the scenes basically so we had we did some casting um locally and like we did an open audition at Red Sky Studios and a bunch of people came out and like a couple people I thought would be like okay for the spot but I wasn't like totally totally sold on it and then at the same time we were doing casting um, online through backstage casting and um, we had a handful of people submit through there and he just submitted through there and I really liked his audition it was like it's kind of one of those things where it's like as soon as I saw it I was like yep this is it like I just knew it but then I still we still had to like talk with them and everything and like the more I talked with them and got to know him I just like became super close friends with him and he came uh, like a week before the film and you know he stayed at my house for a month and he came in a week before the film and I got to go I took him to all the locations that we shot at um, and we just would get to the locations and just talk about the scene that's gonna happen at that location because um, on the like when we were actually in the production like we shot it in three weeks and it was like so crazy that I kind of just had to like let him do his thing but we had that week before to like go over everything so that like on the day and stuff he was just kind of like he was so locked in with the character and the script and like he was like he would just do his thing and like I think the biggest thing was just like trying to um, make sure like I was just trying to make sure we got what we needed before moving on like but he would he would always deliver and like I think the other thing about doing something like on an independent level was like almost just like knowing what to avoid you know I feel like a lot of it is just like knowing what to what what's not gonna look good as opposed to like because obviously you don't have the budget to make like everything look super sick and sick cinematic but it was almost more of a like what doesn't work like knowing what's not gonna work and just trying to avoid that kind of stuff. So. Okay. Cool. I'm still close with him too. I still talk with him all the time. He's he's an awesome dude. So Andrew, what is your um what is your plan for like the next steps? I'm wondering about kind of specifically about distribution. I remember 
Yeah. When I made my movie about uh, nearly ten years ago, we you know we printed like a thousand DVDs, and there's you know yeah. a lot of them are still sitting in my basement. <laughs> still, I assume, still in the garage. I assume you're not, <laughs> you're not going to go that route. But uh, what kind of avenues are uh, you know a possibility for you? Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, we're actually. I, I mean, we made VHS tapes for the premiere. Oh my god! So yeah, we made twenty five limited edition VHS tapes um, that we gave out, and those were like a big hit. And I want to do, I want to do. Nobody those. can play them. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but I, I actually still have a VHS player, and I still watch VHSs, and I feel like there's like a small group of people that still do that, and it's also like kind of a physical like collector's item. As if, like I don't know like who's buying DVDs these days. I mean, like if you're gonna, I don't know. I mean, and then. You know, Blu-rays. I think people buy Blu-rays and still watch Blu-rays. Um, but the VHS idea was just kind of like, I mean, I, like we kind of wrote it like a 90s movie. And, like, I kind of, like, pictured shooting it like a 90s movie with some of the zooms and, like, the, the voiceover, like a train spotting or SLC punk. So, like, I kind of wanted to do the VHS thing. And I want to do the VHS thing on a bigger scale. Like, eventually, like, have a web store and sell VHS tapes and have, like, special editions with, like, different colors and, like that kind of stuff and like also we have like an hour long behind the scenes video that like I want to include on that on tape um, 2 yeah tape 2 exactly <laughs> two taper magnolia style <laughs> um but then like in a more practical sense like you know we're really hoping that we can connect with a distributor that can get us a small theater run because like just seeing it at the Somerville theater was like amazing to see uh like some of the decisions we made like throughout the whole process from from location scouting and 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 shot list to post were like engineered for the big screen and before that screening i had seen it on everything from a tv to a laptop to a phone so being able to see on the big screen was like really cool and so i I really want to try to do like a small theater run even if it's just new england even if it's just one weekend like i'd love to hit like burlington portsmouth providence like brooklyn new york like that kind of thing if possible portland maine and then from there, try to end up on, um, you know, one of the um, one of the subscription VODs like Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, um, and then maybe somewhere in the middle have it on iTunes or um, some of those other like uh, paid VODs, so we can make a couple bucks, I guess. But yeah, I'm, I just want to get as many people to see as possible. But I, I know that there's like all sorts of different ways to. to I mean, we still got people to pay back and stuff too. So it's all stuff that got to figure out pretty soon i think gotcha well when we when you find out you should let us know and we'll tell everybody you know Dude. the few people that listen you know how to find the, how to find <laughs> Wait, the do you movie. guys do you guys really not have a massive following because you should uh, that pta that pta one should should go viral because he's got like a cult following and you guys covered it pretty damn well i thought well his his like, box i'm a big pta is fan as our as our listener <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true that is true but he's got a cult following though like that's true well, you speaking know, of like, going I think the people vi- that are listening, viral, Andrew, yeah. like you guys yeah. did a really good job marketing it. I mean, at least I mean, I, I followed you yeah. in, in Gutterbug on yeah. Instagram, but you guys had these little stickers that you placed all around Alton that yeah. I would see sometimes. Yeah, uh, you did a really good job with the viral marketing of this. Can you describe yeah. a little bit of that and what your thought process was? Yeah, totally. And that's something that like we're still 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 trying to keep going like um but from the start it was like we wanted to try to market it like you would market like a punk band or something so like the stickers were an obvious choice there and like the logo so like i worked with um my friend tj frida who's a graphic designer 
um, and he also was in the movie at some point. So he was he was like around for the filming of the movie and also shot some like behind the scenes stuff. So he came up with like the um, the font and like the look of like just the text, the gutter bug text on the sticker. And then he came up with the little bug logo. So we just started peppering those around Alston and then moved out from there. Like before the IFFB screening a couple weeks or about a month ago now, I got 500 stickers and I hit like all the college campuses like Harvard Square, like Davis Square, like Newberry Street um, and just went all over and just like dumped a bunch of stickers all over the city. And it's just like great free. I mean, it's like cheap to get the stickers. It takes I mean, it took me like two days to do it all, but it's like you can just put these stickers in front of people's faces without having to pay for a billboard or like a bus stop ad space. Yeah, and more like people cheaper. see them, they're like, yeah. what is that? And then eventually yeah. they're like, oh, let me look into that. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a great and idea. And like we printed out a bunch of posters that I wanted to do the same thing with, but I ran out of time, but I ended up hitting Alston, like the bars, all the like rock and roll bars and coffee shops and like practice spaces where the bands practice. Like I put like 11 by 17 posters in those places with... um the date on it like much like you would see like a show flyer like a rock and roll show flyer we made like these movie flyers um and, and then we're trying to keep doing that like we're doing a screening in in uh in la and in, in june at the holly at the chinese theaters and like i've already been talking with some of my friends out there and just like like sending them like a thousand stickers and just like just cover hollywood boulevard and gutterbuck stickers you know and it's like it's just great advertisement Nice. And and my last And the other thing, sorry, the other thing that's cool too about that is, so we took all the stickers and I took photos of them uh, with like a point and shoot, like a 90 style point and shoot um, black and white film and then scanned those in and used them for the title sequence. And like, so, and at the theater too, we were like handing out stickers as people came into the theater and then like, you know, five minutes into the movie, there's that crazy title sequence with the stickers everywhere. So, like, yep. that kind of tied into the whole thing. And, like, it was cool hearing people, like, comment about that after, like, having the sticker in their hand and also seeing it up on screen is, like, kind of meta or whatever. Well, my last point was just the look was so unique of this. Like, you, you mm-hmm. mentioned you wanted it to look like a, a 90s movie, and it definitely yeah. sort of accomplished that sort of green yeah. 90s. But, like, how did you guys – I mean, the cinematography was amazing, but also how did you keep the, like – the hair the makeup all like first of all how do you figure that look out and then keep it so consistent throughout the whole filming because i'm sure it was in a three-week filming it was probably pretty crazy yeah yeah it was it was nuts i mean we had a makeup person um emily matuin uh who was amazing and the actors were also super on top of it too like they would like we didn't really have a designated wardrobe person we had someone that did the costume design um, Justin Palmerlo, who has a vintage store in Lower Alston, so he got all the stuff, and the the characters came in a couple days before the shoot and went to the store, and he like f- gave them the outfits and like dirtied the outfits up, um, and then they just kind of like rocked those outfits the whole time. Like that was something we had talked about. Like do, like Bug changes his outfit a couple times, but like Slim and Jenny just rocked the same outfits the whole time, like almost like cartoon characters or something. But also because they probably don't have any other clothes anyhow, right. so they just wore the same thing. For pretty much the whole time bug changes up a little bit but like they would bring their outfits home with them and then come to set the next day with the outfits so that just like was kind of on them and they all did a great job and then um the makeup they just would come in every day we'd start at my house have breakfast in my house and then they would get like dirtied up like emily had like a little concoction um i think it was, she was using like coffee beans and like she was using some weird shit 
to, to like make them look dirty and then she had stuff that she was like putting on her teeth that was one thing that that was tricky was the con- the uh, continuity with the stuff on her te- on their teeth because she was putting like yellow goop on their teeth to make their teeth look gnarly and like as I was once I was going through the edit like I, it was something that was jumping out at me that we weren't super consistent with that but everyone I've told that to said they didn't even notice but maybe yeah. on, on, a, on a second or third pass you can tell that there's certain scenes where um their teeth aren't as dirty as they were the one before or whatever but nice. yeah we, we just wanted them to look like dirty and, and like like sunburned and tan you know um Jenny was like kind of fair skinned but Bug and, and Slim got like looked pretty tan and dirty did she have a shaved head going into this or did she do it for the movie so she she the role she had before she was shooting a film uh in australia before and they made her shave her head for a scene and she told us about that and i was like she's like is this is gonna happen like i hope this doesn't doesn't ruin you know Gutterbug because we were like planning on doing it when she got back we actually like pushed the shoot a week so she could do this other thing and I was down. I was like, no, I think it. I think it fits to have you like shaved head because like I see a lot of punks around with shaved heads. So it just kind of worked out. It wasn't something that I had planned from the start, but like when she mentioned it, I was like, yeah, that totally works with the character. Um, so that was kind of like a happy accident. Yeah, I mean, I think it looked great. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Do you guys have any other follow up questions? No, I think that's great. Nope. Well, uh, thanks for joining us, man. We really Dude, appreciate yeah. it. And hell yeah. um, hopefully, uh, so what's next for Gutterbug? I, I know you, you talked about what you want to do for distribution, but are you in a, uh, some more f- festivals coming up? Yeah, so we have a festival at um, uh, uh, the Chinese Theaters for the Dances with Films Festival, June 19th in L.A. And then um, I don't think we can s- announce the other one yet, but we're doing another festival in the in the New England area at the end of uh, July, um, and uh, it's like a, in a cool area, like on the beach. If that gives you any hints, and then um, we're doing um, the Rhode Island Film Festival in Portsmouth um, the first week of August, and then there's a couple other festivals that we're still waiting to hear back from, and trying to line up some screenings around around Alston and Boston. Just trying to show as many people as we can this summer and, and fall. Well, where where can people find you and get updates? Uh, Instagram page, I think, is probably the best the best place. I feel like we've been putting a lot of our marketing time into that. I feel like that's kind of a good platform for for this kind of a movie. So our Instagram is Gutterbug Movie. Uh, yeah, it's at Gutterbug Movie, and um, we I think we have a Facebook page as well. That's that's Gutterbug Movie, um, and our email is uh, GutterbugMovie at gmail dot com. If you wanna shoot me an email I can put you on a little email blast marketing MailChimp kind of thing that we that we got going on too nice well congrats dude on all the success it's pretty awesome to see you uh, see you uh, being this successful and having this movie out there and I know it was a lot of work for you so congrats damn I wish you could have got you in it man it would have taken it to the next level if we had that would have taken it to the next level just ask (laughs) Chapin hear that Jaypin, you're editing this, right? Yeah, I'll cut that Can't out. let anybody else hear that. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, I'm a big fan of the podcast, and I'm looking. F- What's the next uh, director's retrospective going to be? Do you guys know yet? Oh God, who's ha- who tired. has the fewest? I'm so films? tired thinking about it. But <laughs> well, we're thinking about Kubrick. We're thinking about. Yeah, it. that would be a good one. Yorgos Lanthimos would be another good one. I just yeah, through all that, that guy's shit. It's so fucking sick. 
I love his whole his whole catalog is pretty pretty unreal. All right, we we'll, can't go we'll let you know. Yeah, I'll stay up to date. I'll keep an eye on you guys. <laughs> All right. All right, dude. Take care, guys. Have a good Thank one. Thank you. Bye. Later. This week, in honor of a long shot, we are doing our top five underdogs, which is kind of a broad category. So um, because it's such a broad category, did you guys have any criteria? Yeah. Uh, yes. I, uh, I, I avoided... Um, sports movies with one exception um and i think i still i still it still works in my opinion but you, uh for the most part i avoided sports sports movies um yeah i also avoided sports movies um i also like you said underdog can be kind of a broad term so i i wanted to kind of define it for myself so i i was basically saying characters who were up against the odds and that sort of broadened my search a little bit. It made mm-hmm. it a little easier to find some things. So while when you first hear this, if you're thinking underdog, you might not think of this character because you're likely thinking of like Rocky or something like that. Well, hold but, on. You, <coughs> I, I have criteria too for you. Okay. I, I was just bro- explaining mine. Yeah. Okay. It <laughs> sounded like you were about to get into your number five right there. No, I wasn't. Uh, uh, Jesus. I, what's going on? my number five now. I had the same criteria, uh, basically as Chapin, except for I still ended up with, technically, I think, two sports movies. <laughs> um, but I tried to avoid sports movies. Uh, it, you know, it's the it's the Rocky Memorial list. Um, so, and I like I like your ideally of um, uh, characters that are well, how do you say up against up it? against the odds? Yeah, yeah up, against up against it. Yep. All yeah, right. All right. I like that. All right, Chapin, why don't you go first, number five. Okay, my number five is an odd one because he, I don't, he is up against it, but I don't think he wins in the end. Um, and I don't know why I thought of this, but I just did, so screw you. It's uh, William Holden in Sunset Boulevard. He definitely doesn't win in the end. No. Um, okay. Yeah, what it makes, makes sense. And he's kind of, he's sort of a, a slave to... Um, what's her name? And he's also the cops are also chasing him. Yeah, and he yes, I'm not sure. <laughs> like he doesn't really. I mean, the underdog suggested that someone's going to accomplish something, and I don't know that he does. Although he does kind of expose. He gets going on that script. Too. Yeah, he gets going. He ex- he exposes Norma Desmond. I guess I don't know. Um, he just he is an underdog, and maybe he remains one. But um, yeah posthumously yes okay all right lily what do you got number five. my number five um man I, I i had to be sure that i'd seen this movie but <laughs> yep that's a good criteria but no i know i have i just couldn't remember very much about it except for the main character in it but jack black who voices the character of poe in kung fu panda you've seen that i have it's actually pretty good um i the reason I couldn't remember if I saw it is because I um I couldn't remember if it was the original or the sequel. I saw it at my my in-laws house and just like around Christmas time or something when I was over there and it just happened to get put on and I had to go and look and make sure it was the original one and not the sequel. Mm-hmm. Um because I knew in the original he was sort of the underdog. The sequel I couldn't remember if he was or not. So Poe, Jack Black as Poe in the Kung original Fu Panda, the original Kung Fu Panda. Nice. 
Um, all right, so my number five, uh, this is also one I kind of just thought of. It wasn't on any lists, um, but it definitely is a character that's up against it, and um, really it seems like he he's not going to win the day or any of these days, um, and it's uh, Phil, played by Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. Oh, that's a good one. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, everyone knows the plot. Basically, this poor guy just keeps waking up on the same day uh, over and over and over again. He basically becomes suicidal. He can't get out of it, and he doesn't seem like there's any way uh, he's going to fix this problem. Um, But, uh, you know, he figures out a way. Maybe. I don't know. I don't want to spoil it. What a uh, great movie. That movie, Bill Murray is so funny in that movie. It's What a script. What a great script. And, And Andy McDowell. I know, like never again. Yeah. Like why? I mean, she's like, not particularly great, but I mean, she's <laughs> she's, she's terrible. I think you she, think so? Oh yeah, I think she's really bad. I think. It's oh, like I think one she's of okay. The, like, I think it's one of the all-time time like worst casting choices. Like I would have put oh, really? so many other people in there. I, yeah. I, I don't know that I would go that far, but her appeal is is non-existent in that film. Oh I mean, she's yeah, beautiful. That's but, my like, issue with her. All right. Uh, anyone else? uh my number four is uh you know overcoming obstacles to succeed in the end is charlie kaufman from adaptation that's a great one you even got the line in there i didn't think what is but does he succeed in the end yeah he he made the film he made the film adaptation yeah that's true that is true um (laughs) how ridiculous is that the the alligator part, though. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, that movie's so good. Stop. It's let's so not. Good. Let's not do this. Speaking of another good script. Yeah. All timer. We'll, Two we'll, all timers. We'll revisit it next year for its twentieth anniversary. Oh yeah, that's true. Oh, I'd love to do that. Okay, Lebo. Oh yeah, I'm up. Number four, Elijah Wood as Frodo Baggins in Lord of the Rings. Classic. Mm. Yep. Yep. I might have gone with Bilbo Baggins, but that's that works. From The Hobbit? Yeah. That would have also worked. I found the Lord of the Rings films to be much better, though. Hmm. All right. Uh, my number four is a movie uh, we know well. It is Mikey from Swingers. God damn you. Fuck. A uh, down-on-his-luck guy. Just broke up with his girlfriend after six years. Cannot get a date. Terrible <laughs> with women. <laughs> And then it gets yeah. Heather Graham in the end. Like, oh. Nice. What an underdog story that is. All right. It's so good to have swingers on the list. Yeah, so great. Um, we, You know what we should do that reminds me? We should do like a like a top five brokenhearted protagonists sometime. That would be good. Okay. John Cusack. <laughs> yeah, in everything. The, the John Cusack Memorial. Uh, my number three is the sports film, and that's the Oakland A's in Moneyball. Um, I know this is kind of a cheat, you know, but like this this movie is like so, you know, obfuscates the sort of traditional uh, underdog story, but it really, at the end of the day, is about that. And like, you know, like that's the emotional core of the film, even though, you know, sabermetrics or whatever, whatever we're calling that. Um, style of 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 um, management uh you know is is really the focus of the sort of the plot but like you really i think the so smart of the director to sort of you know f- 
sort of find that love of baseball and the underdog and that story that kind of warms your heart at the end of the day, even though it's a very sophisticated and kind of, you know, almost at times cynical film. I think that's a great pick because you could also you could also just say Billy Bean in Moneyball. Yeah, because he's, you know, sort of the underdog attempting to change the game. Um, And yeah, I think that works beyond the sports movie underdog um, aspect of this list. Um, my number three, I, I don't think I'm going to change it. It's John Favreau as Mikey and Swingers. What else to be said? Yeah. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> so my number three, I feel like Lee's going to have this on his too, is uh, Daniel's son as Ralph uh, Ralph Macchio as Daniel in uh, The Karate Kid. That's definitely a sports movie. Yeah, so it's not on my list. but Is it sports though? Yeah. Karate? Yeah. <laughs> feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com <laughs> well I also for the nostalgia uh, sake of that's it, the only uh, reason that I I ever am interested in that movie is the nostalgia yeah. piece and just sort so, of the, like ridiculousness of like the Cobra Kai and Johnny Lawrence <laughs> yeah I had to put it on for that okay uh, my number two is Bruce Willis as John McClane in Die Hard thought about that yeah i saw that on some lists i don't know how much i mean he is definitely an underdog as far as well, uh, and especially what he's first. going up against he's, he's not like he's, he's not no the shoes. lovable loser but he's he no but shoes. he is a little bit i mean he's he's down on his luck for sure you know he's yeah. he comes he comes into the situation precariously and you know as sort yeah, of we like forg- go we ahead. forget his um like who he is at the beginning of all these movies like yeah he's just a cop like he's not like a you know an action hero at that point yeah. i think it's a good pick thank you my number two is abigail breslin as olive in little miss sunshine yeah that's a good one oh, did to, she uh, did she win at the end of that i, I forget no <laughs> No, she bit, like gets kicked out because her her dance routine is too That's risque, too, too sexual. Because <laughs> she learns it from her grandpa. <laughs> uh. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I feel like I'm going with the the big guns, but I have to do Andy Dufresne in Shawshank Redemption. Yep. No, I mean it's, it's, it's sort of lists. sort of the obvious, but at the same time. Um, you know, the guy was stuck in jail for how many years? Yeah, wow. For something he didn't do. Or did he? Wouldn't that be Feedback amazing? at Get Your Film Fixed Podcast. Uh, okay, my number one. This is a really weird one, but it came to my mind the you know the first time the first thing it popped in my mind, and so I thought I'd leave it at number one. And that's Tobey Maguire in Spider Man. Oh, Tobey Maguire as an actor. But do you know what I mean? Like his face is just like you just like. <laughs> yeah, he is a wimp. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he like as much as I, I do not care for him as an actor, but I mean that was such a good role for him. He was so kind of good at playing that loser, and they just they they never relent with that. It, it he he is he remains that kind of nerdy kid who you know really can't make anything of being Spider Man for himself. You know that's a that's a through line until you know throughout to the last you know bad film the last one in the series but yeah it's funny you picked that because i i another movie that crossed my mind another marvel movie was was the original captain america 
uh, oh, yeah. with Chris Evans, which I didn't oh, really yeah. feel like worked because, but you know, at the beginning he's that kind of scrawny. But that's for like it, 20 minutes. Of right. The movie, that's, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then they just move on and get into the superhero movie that we've seen a million times. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I sort of rolled my eyes at the Spider-Man pick at first, but you're totally right. I mean, just looking at Tobey Maguire's face here, I'm like, yeah, yeah I wouldn't root for him. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right, my number one, Henry Fonda as juror number eight in 12 Angry Men. Oh, that's a great one. That's a great pick. And that was where I got my against the odds idea here. Yeah. That's totally what that is. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great pick. Um. It makes my pick, my number one pick, look silly. Actually, no, it isn't silly. <laughs> but it, it, it kind of it goes to show you. I was totally remember when I said no sports movies. Yeah, I, I have two now. So my number one <laughs> is the Jamaican bobsled team. Oh uh, no, that's a great pick from Cool Runnings. Ah, uh, that's an amazing pick. I, I, that, I, that was one of the sports movies. I was like, I wish I was doing sports movies because right, Cool Runnings. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for listening to these, this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Uh, if you want to email us, please uh, email us at feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. We're on Instagram. Uh, we don't check Facebook, so don't even bother. Um, but, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. <laughs>